the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about. It's earnings season. Hallelujah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week, we will get a massive push of companies coming public. We will listen intently with how they did in the last 90 days. We will ask them, what does it look like for the next 90 to 180 days? And maybe you got anything in your, your pocket that can impress us. Apple will be the company that a lot of people pay attention to this week. They've had some product that has never taken off. Everyone knows Apple for their successes, but do you know Apple for their losses? It's very, very important that you learn this along the way. Whether it was Microsoft losing the phone battle by ignoring it for two or three years while Apple basically secured a platform. And Google said, hey, we'll we'll take the leftovers. And Google's actually got a bigger plate, but a less profitable plate. So no tech company is perfect, and I know that. But let's look at some of the negatives and some of the losses that Apple did as far as product goes. Do you remember Ping, P-I-N-G? Of course you don't. Ping was meant to be the next big social network. It never really quite hit the right key. It was an attempt to turn iTunes into a social network. The idea was simple. Create an easy way to share music between friends and buddies. Build a network. It got some positive reviews out of the gate. Apple was able to boast that it had seen 1 million users sign up for the service within 24 hours. And then within two years, they shut it down. It was sort of like Facebook and Twitter meets iTunes instead of iTunes meets Facebook. It wasn't Twitter and it wasn't Facebook. It didn't work. Do you remember the feature that Apple had? couple years ago, not that long ago, 3D Touch. It was going to change how you interact with your phone. It was no longer going to be your thumb hits, moves here, your thumb moves here. It's going to be how hard does your thumb push down. Apps and games will never feel the same way again. If you want to hit a shoot the button, shoot the bullets slightly, you just touch the button lightly. If you want to like shoot a shotgun blast, you thump it, thump it twice. You double tap. Like It's just the system, it's not good. It uses pressure-sensitive screen technology and software to differentiate between a tap and differentiate between a deliberate press or a hold. It was basically this going to be the future of navigation. The biggest sign that 3D Touch wasn't a big hit? A lot of people didn't even know it existed in the first place. And most probably won't notice you know, some of the recent changes in it. It's discontinued the feature in its newest lineup of phones, replaced it with a less technologically complex feature called haptic touch. 
And I'll tell you, it's not one of the areas the uh, software shines or the software hardware merger shines. How about the AirPower wireless charging mat? It, where is it? We were supposed to be able to put our phone, our iPod, uh, our. We were supposed to put our our phone, our iPhone, uh, our watch. That's what I'm trying to say, and our AirPods on it. No more cords. It's gonna be wireless charging. It was supposed to land in 2018, but where is it? It's been canceled. It was announced and canceled. Apple never does that. Animoji was a big feature that Apple promised was going to be all that in a bucket of chicken. It's a gimmick that I don't know anyone that uses it. You can talk into your phone. You can record a message. You can send a message to your friend as a monkey, as a clown, as a witch, as a ghost, as a big purple dinosaur. That $1,000 phone, the perk in it was that you could turn yourself into an animal. Utilized over 50 muscles of recognition in a person's face, so the animal kind of looked like you when it talked. It was a little on the creepy side. It's a novelty. And if you were to ask people who have Apple phones right now, today at lunch, how many of you have got Apple phones? 50% of them would say, and you would say, how many people know what an emoji is? Most people don't even know what it is. A lot of people don't like the feature in of itself because you typically need to need to listen to a message. You don't need to see me talking like a monkey saying the same thing. Your kids will giggle, but it's got to be more than that. That's not Apple quality. Apple's iPod Hi-Fi speaker system. They sold a big but huge speaker. Like the one from the 1980s that you could go into Circuit City or Best Buy and say, I want to be buried in that thing. It's so big. And then you would just put your iPod on top of it. But it was a big speaker. I'm not talking about the um, the, the speaker that came out with a couple of years ago. I'm talking about the one that came out with seven, eight years ago. 2006. iPod was the unexpected king of music players. And they needed a hi-fi speaker. And they didn't really design much. They just took a speaker, literally, like from your dad's stereo cabinet. Apple tried to enter the gaming market with a, a console called Pippin. That was a big loss. People weren't willing to play along. Game developers, game publishers. Apple always wants a premium. So they couldn't really compete with what the Sony PlayStation was doing or the Nintendo 64. <coughs> and because Apple wants to price things higher, $599, it wasn't going to go anywhere when compared to a $299 PlayStation. Sold 42,000 units. And that was the end of the CEO that basically brought Steve Jobs back to Apple. The Newton attempted to be a more personal touch technology. It was kind of a PDA. Not a public display of affection. Before people carried smartphones, we carried PDAs, personal digital assistant. Oh, good God. That gives creeps down my spine worse than Halloween. It was forward thinking. In addition to the usual schedule management and contact lists, which I think is a little overrated. 
Um, it's nice to have contact list. I, I get it. But when the phone came out and put everything into it, suddenly this wasn't going to be needed. But that's more of a talk against Palm than it is against the message pad. $699. That'd be about $1,200 in today's dollars. The device uh, was delayed three times. They made some minor little improvements here and there, but the Newton was not meant to be. And for the record, Fig Newtons. Who likes Fig Newtons? And if you raised your hands, you're a freak. Please never shake my hand. The Apple III was meant to take a more business-minded approach to computers. It couldn't hack it. I used to make Apple IIcs and Apple IIes. Apple entered the 80s with a plan to dominate offices the way it already dominated homes. They put a typewriter-style keyboard that allowed for variance between upper and lowercase features. They they did some cool stuff. It was the first computer that Steve Wozniak didn't design, and it, too, was a flop. They had a big, big recall on it. Apple had the Lisa computer. Flop. Apple's Performa series was meant to reach new heights but kept stumbling and fell flat with basically their hardware. Just It wasn't quite right. It wasn't the right product always. And yet, you always think of Apple as a product company, right? Not always the case. Sometimes they get misses. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show. Big seminar coming up in the area. You can learn more at newfocusfinancial.com and use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Listen to the commercials. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. This comes from a 1995 album. It's great when you're straight. Yeah! By a company, not a company, a band called Black Grape. A little bit of a punk sound, believe it or not. It shows you that with time, punk turns into pop, right? Sometimes growth stock turns into like blue chip stocks. But it's a, company called, it's a band called Black Grape, and it's called Shake Your Money. This was the very second theme song that I ever had in radio. It sounded like this. Like, Welcome back in, everybody. It's me, Rob Black. Talking all things financial. Shake, shake, shake your money. Because when I started into financial radio, and keep in mind, my background is as an analyst. My background is as a tech investor. My background is as a wealth accumulator. Um, I'd listen to other financial shows on television and radio, and they're like, they'd play these trumpets like, do, 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 coming in and out of break and stuff like that. Like, boring. So that's one of the things I try to do on this show. I don't always succeed, and I used to have 100% control of the music, and now I'm just a little bit too busy, so sometimes stuff slips through that I'm like, what is that? But also I want my producers to have fun and entertainment and to find the show to be part of their own. So that's how it, the music evolves on this show. Anyhow and anyway, I hope you see that we do really try hard with very limited resources uh, to bring you a great show. So tell your friends. Gaining an edge on the stock market is everyone's fantasy, right? No, you're like, no, I want Jared Goff. He's my fantasy. He's my fantasy football quarterback. 
I don't do fantasy football. I don't do fantasy baseball. I don't do fantasy hockey. I don't do any of that. You know why? Because I'm busy. Um, not my thing for entertainment. Not judging you, but I do find that men over the age of 20 in professional uniforms, a little bit weird. A little bit weird seeing someone drop $150 to, to wear Eli Manning's jersey. I know you're saying, Eli Manning, you're out of touch. Anyhow, gaining an edge on the stock market. That's what I want to talk about briefly. It's in everyone's mind. It's like when Odell Beckham Jr. had his breakout season a few years ago. Everyone's like, no one knew who he was in week one. So in week two, when everyone's like seeing him light it up in the NFL, they're like, I, he's my secret. I'm going to win. You're looking for an edge. You're looking for value. You're looking for opportunity. You're looking to figure out that stock market because you're curious that you think you could do it better than anyone else can. Well, it's that time of year where you could start buying into these theories, buying into these edges. The sell in May and go away. How did that work out? Describes the market tendency to underperform during the summer and outperform in the first quarter, January, February, March, and the last quarter, October, November, December. Now, that kind of worked. There's no deep psychological reason why it works other than during the holidays, during the summers, we tend to go to the beaches for 7, 10, 14 days. And we kind of reserve other times of the year, like we try to check out during the summer, Wall Street does. The fourth quarter is important because of all the retail spending and holiday spending. The first quarter is budget flushes. You could loosely make cases for why selling May and go away could be a thing. There's another edge that you can get called the Santa Claus rally. Doesn't take a rocket scientist figure it's 70 days or so till uh, Christmas, right? The tendency of stocks to go higher at Christmas, some people say it's because investors are in a good mood. Ah, I'm going to spend time with my family and drink lots of eggnog and eat turkey. Uncle Herbert's going to get drunk and how shall we say be inappropriate? The good old times, Christmas. Barry Bannister sounds like a superhero. He works at Stifle. He points out recessions are rare when investors look ahead to next year. And that's what happens around the fourth quarter. The Santa Claus rally. Most outlooks by companies are on the rosier side. They're not you don't you don't rise to fame in business by going, man, we just had a good year, but next year looks like toenails. Toenails. Anyhow, you get the idea that there's sometimes we underpromise and overdeliver, but you always have to have some sort of positive looking ahead on Wall Street. It's not the right place for Debbie Downer. Another condition, time of the year that could give you an edge is Halloween. Trick or treat. It's just right around the corner, right? Right in the middle of third quarter earnings season. It's typically a great treat, a great day for stocks. I know you're saying Halloween. Yes. The S&P 500 rises on average one-fifth of 1%. Now, if you could bottle that and capture it, if you can get up one-fifth of 1% on a day, every day, you would have all that in a bucket of chicken.
the that's the S and P five hundred on Halloween. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a little bit more conservative. Does a little bit worse. But the Nasdaq's double that at 0.4%. It rises almost one-half of 1%. And the Russell 2000, the smallest cap stocks in all of the United States, small businesses that may not have anything to do with Russia, that probably have nothing to do with the Middle East, that are kind of domestic plays. You can think of like grocery stores as the best example. The Russell 2000 tends to go up 65 basis points, more than one half a percent on the day of Halloween. So is Halloween scary? Is it spooky? Is there a mystery? Not really. Halloween's one of the busiest days of the year for third quarter earnings. Typically, Wednesdays and Thursdays are the most popular days to report earnings, and more than 30 S&P 500 companies will report on Thursday, October 31st. No explanation of the Halloween outperformance. None that I could think of. Maybe we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Don't think so. You can find out more about me by going to newfocusfinancial.com, robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves, weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or kdow.biz. I think that if uh, you go back and look at a 10, 12, 13-year-old Rob Black, I wasn't, you know, Alex P. Keaton. I wasn't a Republican carrying, like, a Ronald Reagan lunchbox to school or anything like that. I wasn't obsessed with capitalism and trickle-down economics. What I was obsessed with was understanding video games and figuring out social interaction with females and... I've I've been lucky enough that I've been able to turn some of my hobbies into life. Um, when I was 16, 17, I saw my dad just age poorly. Cancer. And cigarettes. And a lot of my childhood formed my future. So I highly recommend that you pay attention to your kid's childhood. To this day, you know, the, the ramifications of my watching my dad age and die... I don't want to work till the day I die. That's probably one of my number one tenets in life, right? And then, you know, video games to me and uh, technology in particular, computers and semiconductors and, and building computers and keyboards and operating systems like DOS and uh, COBOL, uh, Apple++. Like, some of these software programs were like, defining moments for me that I was able to figure out C++ earlier than my friends, and it kind of gave me an edge. Soccer was great. Soccer taught me how to be a leader. Soccer taught me how to be to work on a team. Soccer taught me practice makes perfect. Um, I was one of the best goalkeepers in America um, because I practiced and because I grew up overseas, and I didn't have that American softness of like, oh, Joey doesn't want to go to practice today. I practice on concrete, I practice on rock and gravel, I practice in all conditions. So a lot of our childhood, it will come back to form you as an, as successful or failure in life. I've been very, very lucky to take my fascination with technology as a child and turn it into something that I can explain to you and to keep things moving. I hope the best and the same for you. Um, I think if I weren't in finances and media, and particularly I started in finance, and then I moved into media. I don't have a degree in media. I think I'm okay at it, but 
I, I think those are two very unique things for me, and I, I don't. I love my job, and I appreciate it. So anyway, um, marijuana stocks. This has been a very interesting year in California. It's kind of 2019. I want to say was the year where recreational marijuana became a thing. I don't know how I feel about it. I can tell you how I feel about stocks. I'm not that mature in other areas of my life to tell you that I know everything. I know that my father was kind of an absent parent, so where are my kids? I I pay attention to them. I'll play video games with them. I'll watch their movies with them. I'll listen to their music with them. My biggest thrill of the year was a band called AJR. Um, I drive a lot during the summers. uh, get away to the mountains on the weekends with my kids kind of thing. And we'd listen to XM Satellite's you know, Bonnaboo kind of uh, summer music festival. And I, I was like, ooh, I like this band, AJR. And my kids did too. And like, that was one of the cool things I did. I don't, I'm pretty frugal, but I've dropped a good, you know, good amount of money to fly my kids to Red Rocks, a beautiful place in Colorado to see a concert. I could have seen them in San Francisco, but San Francisco is surrounded by bums, urine, and, and, and feces. Not a beautiful place to see a concert. Phil Graham's lovely inside, but on the outside, it ain't fun. So I believe in experience, and I, I don't want to be cheap and frugal forever, but at the same time, I do still like talking about frugal stuff. Um, I don't mind buying T-shirts from Target. I prefer to do it online, but I don't need a $65 T-shirt. I don't. I've got a friend who's got a McLaren. I don't need a $200,000 vehicle. I got a truck, and I'm, I love my truck. Um, I don't have a gun rack or anything like that. I'm like, oh, I got a truck. Warren Buffett, one of the richest people in the world, has lived in the same modest home for 60 years. I, sometimes I want a little bit nicer, but I still live in a very modest home. Bethany Frankel, the woman who created um, Skinny Girl Cocktails, which let's stop for a second and, and cheers Bethany Frankel for coming up with the Skinny Girl Margaritas. She buys most of her clothes on eBay at bargain outlets. I like that. You're talking about people worth millions and millions of dollars. Anthony Anderson, he's on the TV show Blackish. His thing that he admits to being most frugal on is he doesn't overspend when making big purchases. He grew up in Compton, working class family. So he's got a check in with real life. He doesn't have the biggest house on the block, he's got a moderate house on the best block in his mind. I've got probably in the lower 15% on one of the best streets. I'm fine with that. Someone will come in one day and knock down my home. That's fine. Hillary Swank, Academy Award-winning actress. She likes coupons. It actually relaxes her. Queen Elizabeth. She lives in Buckingham Palace. What's her frugal habit? She's worth $600 million, which I still don't quite understand how the royals have gotten away with us. She lives in a 775-room palace. How does the queen act thrifty? She uses a space heater. The heating bill that comes along with a 775-room palace is astronomical. So she doesn't turn up the thermometer. It's cold. She uses a space heater. She keeps it tucked inside a, a fireplace in the, in any given room. I don't know if that's cool or uncool. Let's hope the space heater never sparks out 
and it burns down the castle. Like, you know, the company that sells crockpots and makes crockpots, their stock went down after that This Is Us episode where Jack dies in the fire. Don't go back in the house to save one more dog. He goes back in the house to save the dog. He doesn't make it out because a crockpot fire. Crockpots are probably the second safest thing on the planet behind elevators. The number of fatal accidents tied towards crockpots has to be as low as elevators. Halle Berry. Holy mackerel, is she considered like the hottest woman on the planet in the 1990s? She was Catwoman. Meow! Oscar-winning actress. You'll find her shopping at CVS. I was in L.A. one day, and sure enough, I'm in CVS. And uh, I tend to talk a little bit louder than I think I do. And you know the guy, Mr. Big, from um, Sex in the City on HBO, Time Warner Show? Mr. Big was the guy that Carrie fell in love with, and they were on again, off again, off again, on again, off again, on again. And as a CBS in L.A. once, and uh, he's in like an aisle over for me. And my friend walks up, and I, 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 I kind of whisper in her ear a little bit too loud. I go, I think he's buying stuff because how shall we say he's itchy down there? I think he might have the crabs. It's Mr. Big. And he looked at me. Like, that's not even funny. And I was like, oh, Sorry. Go about your business. Be a celebrity. It's funny because I saw George Lucas once have breakfast. I, I, I grew up. I love Star Wars. I like Space 1990 more. Nine, Space 1999 more than I like Star Wars. I like Star Wars more than I like Star Trek. Live long and prosper. But I see George Lucas at Dipsy Cafe. There's a cafe in Marin for breakfast. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's one of the thrills. California does breakfast well. Really well. If you find that right cafe... Squeezed in and trucky, unbelievable. But I see George Lucas sitting there, and part of me so badly wants to go over and go, "Thank you for you, you spurred imagination in my childhood, which which helped spurred robotics and it's it helped spurred R two D R two D two." And I always wanted, I was like, I was like, I wanted to tell him a joke. I was like, "What if R two D two was played by a seal in your show in your movies?" And I, I had this fantasy that George Lucas would be like, "You're hired." A seal robot? I'm like, and I, I'd go, like, you go, art, 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 And then he'd look at me and go, I made a terrible mistake. You're fired. But I, I didn't actually go up to him. But this is all about Mr. Big shopping at CVS and Halle Berry shopping at CVS and how to keep quiet and leave celebrities alone, especially me. I'm kind of a big deal. The beautiful and lovely, talented Kristen Bell, who comes across as the girl next door and not a movie star or TV star or whatever, who's married to Dak Shepard, who I'm like, I'm better looking than Dak Shepard. She talks about her thriftiest habit. She spent $142 on her wedding, and she too shops with coupons. Tiffany Haddish, she uses coupons. I use coupons. If you're ever going to get your car washed, which is incredibly stupid financially speaking, at least get a coupon for it. If you're ever going to go to a restaurant, I have a friend who does video editing, which anytime I talk to young people, there was a college of uh, high school of young like video television producers, like schools, schools have that department now, an AV department that produces TV. 
they came into Kron and my, my career advice to them was, well, look at me, I'm wearing jeans. Like you only see me from here up. So it's all about image. So protect your image. Don't put stupid stuff on Facebook, protect your image. Um, TV only sees me from the waist up. I got jeans and flip flops on, on the, on the way down per se. But also I went out of my way to say, never say no in TV. That's how you get ahead. You never say no. Hey, can you work from midnight to 6am? Sure. Work New Year's Eve. Can you do our big New Year's Eve bash? Yeah. And you'll get ahead. So, network. Also an important thing. So, anyway, do you have any frugal habits? I would love to hear your most frugal habit. I cooked some zesty chicken last night. Guess what I'm having for lunch today? Zesty chicken leftovers. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, trying to get you wealthy, trying to get you to retirement. Find me at newfocusfinancial.com. Listen to the seminar promos coming up in commercial and use code radio25 to get in for free. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Which modern said, what happens when you sleep? Was it the witch? Was it the Blair Witch Project or was it paranormal activity? Paranormal activity is a fantastic example of what wall street wants horror movies are made for almost nothing in america almost nothing you get a good camera get an old spooky house you turn down the lights if you ever look at tv shows or movies it's really expensive to produce something outside in in natural light it's not as expensive you produce it in a studio in a, a light controlled environment Paranormal activity was made for almost nothing, and it pulled in hundreds of millions of dollars because it played on our, our what happens in the middle of the night if you're in a haunted house? Like, did you hear anything? And it set up like heat. I'm not going to explain the whole concept, but same thing with Friday the 13th. One of the cheapest movies made, it became one of the most uh, it, horror movies are staple for cinema still, like New Line Cinema. Uh, producers, because you can cast nobodies. You don't have to pay the big budget. You don't, and you get some nerd who's good at special effects, and boom, you got a home run. The story of the strangest passion ever known was on the lobby posters for which classic horror movie? Was it Dracula? Was it Cat People? Was it The Bride of Frankenstein? The strangest passion ever known. Now, here we get into marketing and branding with a movie. And it was Dracula. He played the bloodthirsty count obsessed with Mina Harker. When the American movie crew wrapped up for the day, a Mexican film crew worked on the same set overnight, creating a nearly identical film for the 1931 Dracula with mostly a Mexican cast. Again, that goes to show you, are there any real original stories anymore? No. And it does translate pretty nicely, all things considered. So I throw that out there for you. Um, I look at horror movies as very profitable. At one point in time, there was a movie called Hellraiser done by Clive Barker. It was basically all produced inside of a flat in England. So they kept their budget low. It was made for almost no money. It was kind of a new horror idea. You have a little box. You It's a Rubik's Cube. You turn it the right way and the wrong way, and out comes demons from hell. The night he came home, that was a big tagline on what movie? It was a horror movie. 
it didn't sound too spooky until you realize it's the tagline for a masterpiece of a movie, Halloween. The, the movie made a killing at the box office. The slasher genre was was was, you know, created here in America. America's famous for a lot of things. Like you can look at England and you can say like, well, Count Dracula was like at one point in time, this 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 guy got really mad at God and he, he cursed God and God cursed him with eternal life. Whoa, I didn't know that. So it was it was really a story about society's relationship with church. And then you can get into Frankenstein, which was society's relationship with doctors. Like what's going too far? Do we have to cut up parts of people and put them together to stay alive forever? You got the Jekyll and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That was a play on society versus pharmaceuticals. Totally normal guy until he took his pills. And then arr, crazy. America's famous for coming up with Psycho. One of the greatest movies of all time. If you want to freak your kids out and they haven't seen Psycho yet. And we all learned the stat when we're like 9, 10. The blood scene in Psycho where it's going down the drain. It's actually Hershey's syrup and not blood. Like, I knew that. So anyway, pay attention. Like, um, Kevin Bacon was in the first uh, Friday the 13th. He probably should have said no to that, that movie. There's a woman named Amy King who is in the second Friday the 13th. She's the one who survives. And they said... She was like a model when she was 15, and she had this big career, and she got in this movie, and they're like, critically, she got good reviews. She was like a strong heroine uh, who killed the bad guy, and they're like, can you be in the third movie? And she said, no, I don't want to be typecast. So there's so many lessons to be learned just by keeping your eyes open. Ultimately, she was typecast <laughs> as the heroine. She's like in a happy birthday movie. She's been in a couple things, but uh, I looked her up recently, and where she is now, she's a marriage counselor. So... Hot, beautiful, young model, can run with an axe and scream queen it perfectly. Eventually gets back to real life and becomes a marital therapist. I bring it up because there's so many business lessons in everything you do. I've got a young man producing the show today who I'll talk to him because 20, 25 years ago, I was breaking into radio and television. And I'll be like, I'll drop the hints of like what I've seen work and what I've seen not work. Um... I don't know. In 1977, which Italian-made horror movie declared the only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of the film are the first 92? That's awesome, right? It was a movie called Suspira. And Suspira was in a ballet academy. Who would think that you could make a ballet academy into a horror movie? Well, they did, and they, they redid it with Black Swan. In 1963, a horror film warned us, you may not believe in ghosts, but you cannot deny the terror. That was a movie called The Haunting, based on Shirley Jackson's novel, based on a great piece of literature. The Haunting of Hill House, black and white adaptation of an excellent story of restraint in terror. You don't have to shock them. You can restrain it. Old dark houses. In the 50s, 1957, The Blob was proclaimed as the most amazing picture of our time. Not really, but it was a good claim. Find me online at newfocusfinancial.com. Happy, happy Halloween.